Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes. Steve, you and Tom Jocelyn have an extensive piece on kind of the mess we are in with ISIS. And I just got to ask, when you watch these new, re- re- newly discovered true believers in defense and security who've spent seven years defending President Obama's shoulder shrugging and it's not our problem, what do you and Tom think? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is pretty striking. There was a headline in the New York Times, and I won't get it exactly right, but it was something like, you know, analysts, intelligence analysts believe ISIS has shifted its strategy, you know, no longer just a local group. Well, yeah, some people were saying it wasn't a local group from the beginning. I don't think it's so much <laughs> the analysts that have shifted its strategy. There was an attack in Paris. There was an attack in Egypt. But you had other analysts uh, who had been saying all along that you couldn't treat ISIS as a, as a regional problem. You couldn't treat ISIS as a local problem, just as people had said about al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula before they conducted an attack or, or reached beyond um, their, their own region. And the same thing that people said about al-Qaeda proper in the late 1990s. It's just irresponsible to look at these groups and think that you understand that they're going to focus exclusively on their own surroundings. Well, uh, as you and Tom Johnson reported, what are they focused on? What is their big picture on this uh, on this struggle versus the big picture or the small picture, perhaps I should say, coming from the White House? Well, look, I think the most important way to look at this is to, is to look at ISIS as part of the same problem, the same phenomenon that is al-Qaeda. And you, you, you can separate the two in terms of you know, actual groups and command and control and, and the things that have been happening really over the last year since there was a split in leadership. But the phenomenon is exactly the same. And what, what Tom and I tried to do in this article was to go back and look at the Obama administration uh, and its decisions with respect to previous attempted attacks, with respect to these various groups, how they approach the broad question or the broad problem of jihadist terror and to make clear that what we've seen from the White House for seven years is a series of policy decisions meant to end the war on terror. That's the goal of the Obama administration. We saw it from the second day when Barack Obama uh, you know, issued this executive order it's calling for the closing of Guantanamo within a year, almost irrespective of what the experts were saying about the threats that were uh, represented there uh, in, in the detainees. This goes back to even before he was elected. We write about a, a meeting um, between David Petraeus and Obama in July of 2008, in which Petraeus is trying to make clear to Obama that al Qaeda in Iraq is a threat and has designs on regional expansion and could one day pose a threat well beyond uh, its immediate surroundings. And this meeting takes place in Iraq, and Obama says basically, now nah, they're just a mafia. We don't really have to worry about them. And you you stop and you think about the significance of of that meeting and the significance of uh, what it tells you about Obama's approach to this stuff. Here you have David Petraeus, who just engineered a turnaround in Iraq in the space of two years, who's seen this all up front, well acquainted with what al-Qaeda in Iraq wanted, what its objectives and ambitions were, who's sitting on top of a mountain of intelligence about the group and what it wanted to do. And Barack Obama, a first-term senator with no experience on any of this, comes in and tells Petraeus to his face, you don't really know what you're talking about. I know al-Qaeda in Iraq isn't a big deal. I mean, it is this moment. And so, you know, the argument that Tom and I make in this piece is that that attitude, what you've seen from Obama, sort of setting aside facts, setting aside intelligence assessments, all in favor of his opinion, 
is really what you've seen for seven years. And it's one of the reasons that we are in the, the, the uh, dilemma that we're in. And just think about that for a second. A state senator who had been a U.S. senator for half a term telling General David Petraeus, eh, what do you know? I mean, let me tell you about this Al-Qaeda really works. It's just a crime. It's, it's south side Chicago. I know these guys. I just The gasp-inducing arrogance of that is just yeah. phenomenal. But then also I think answers the question as to what's been going on or gives a hint as what's been going on with the intelligence regarding ISIS. As you know, it, I, we, and, you and I talked about the fact that it was a big deal a few weeks ago this summer when intelligence analysts said publicly something they hate doing. Man, we are giving the White House very, very different information than what is coming out of the White House. And when the Daily Beast broke that story, it should have been a huge news. Of course – the media being the media, no way, we're not going to cover it. And now the New York Times is on it, and now it looks like that there's going to have to be a real investigation, not an Obama DOJ investigation, but a real investigation into what was happening to the intelligence in the pipeline. That's exactly right, and you're going to actually have several different investigations. You've got one being conducted by the Pentagon's inspector general, specifically about ISIS intelligence and specifically about CENTCOM. You have a, a sort of a, a, a corollary investigation being run by the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, looking not only at those questions, but at the broader question of uh, manipulation of intelligence. And I think that the, the House inquiry is likely to be the most significant. Look, I, I've long thought that the, the, the biggest scandal of the Obama administration, and I'm including in this the IRS scandal, Benghazi, um, what have you, is the administration's manipulation of, of intelligence. Uh, we, we saw this with the bin Laden documents, which you and I have talked about several times before. We're seeing this with ISIS. We've seen this with the way that the president has handled intelligence on the terrorist threat that he doesn't agree with. He simply sets it aside and makes clear to the analysts and the people leading the agencies that he does not want uh, an analyses and assessments that contradict his own ideological predisposition. That's been very clear from the beginning. Again, Tom and I try to lay this out in this piece in the magazine, but I think that's the way to look at this. You know, right now the New York Times had this story over the weekend saying there's this Pentagon Inspector General thing, and and the House Intelligence Committee is looking at this manipulation, but they're focused specifically on ISIS. That's the wrong focus. Uh, you have to look much more broadly than that. And I believe the House Intelligence Committee is going to do that. I think that they are going to look very carefully at the bin Laden document uh, manipulation. And the fact that, you know, here we sit four and a half years after bin Laden was killed, and you still don't have three and a half years after bin Laden right. was killed, excuse me, you still don't have a full, top to bottom, comprehensive exploitation of the intelligence material, the raw materials, the documents that we took in the raid that killed bin Laden. Think about what we could learn if we had taken the time over the past three years to produce regular assessments from that, well, I think Steve Hayes, how the jihadist networks work. You just answered your question. Why would you do that? Think of what you would learn. You might learn that the network is bigger than you thought, that it could extends all the way into exactly. to the heart of Western Europe and to America, and then you'd have to do something. And this president is absolutely dedicated to doing nothing. And so now here we are at the end of seven years with the, you know, the uh, to uh, quote the uh, president's former pastor, chickens coming home to roost. And uh, George Will said something interesting, I thought, on uh, 
one of the shows this Sunday, where he said, just as Reagan stood up in 1980 and looked in the camera and said, are you better off uh, today than you were four years ago? Some Republican is going to stand on the stage with Hillary Clinton and say, is any part of the world, including America, more safe than it was you know, before Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State? I think that he's right. That's a devastating blow. How does she get around that? I think it'd be very hard for her to get around that, honestly. And I think what we've seen over the past couple of weeks, particularly since the attacks in Paris, is the American media really waking up to the nature of this threat. I mean, it was easy, I think, for, for journalists, particularly those who cover politics or those who cover Washington, not to be as focused on this and to, to in effect, believe because they wanted to believe that what they were hearing from the administration was correct. And I think what happened in Paris is, is you have this cultural affinity in some ways between our media elites here in the United States and Parisians and, and the French. And, you know, reporters here think, ah, they're the French. You know, they opposed the Iraq war. They, they don't get overly right. excited about this. They, they wouldn't overreact. And then they see in France, well, gosh, people are taking this awfully seriously after an attempted attack in in Paris, and I think it's caused some of them to re-examine their own uh, assumptions in a healthy way, in a good way. And to go back to your question directly, I mean, I think that's going to be the key for Hillary Clinton. She owns Barack Obama's foreign policy, period, end of discussion. And we saw her give a speech last week in which she attempted to create some distance from him on ISIS in particular. But again, you know, it's not just ISIS. She can't isolate that particular terror group in have you know create differences between mm-hmm. herself and the president on that it's a it's an entire approach to the nature of the problem and she still hasn't articulated a vision for that and to the extent that she has spoken about it she echoes what barack obama's been saying well the rnc i think is very smart as uh, was reported in the in the weekly standard on the blog today to start running ads now with the words directly from the mouths of the democrats on this you know to kind of get things on the record but if uh if i were hillary steve i want to see if you agree with this who whatever speechwriter convinced me to put the sentence in my mouth muslims have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism I would fire that speechwriter immediately. Yeah. I just don't. You're, it's what's, the, the the debate of the either you're an Islamophobe or you're an ISIS lover, and that's obviously nonsensical. I don't think there are ten people in the United States who agree with that sense. No, and to say it, it's so unserious. It's it, it, you know, the, the, to, for someone who's supposed to be kind of the hard knuckled, you know, I I'm a Democratic you know, uh, foreign policy with uh, with, you know, with muscles, with uh, with teeth. And to say something straight out of the Hello Kitty, you know, pacifist handbook like that. I, I, if I were the Republicans, I'd play that a bazillion times in the next 18 months. Absolutely. I mean, the real question is, is Hillary Clinton one of those 10 people? Right. I mean, right. Of course not. Speechwriter was. <laughs> uh, you think that she knows better, and, of course and she you does. would expect that she knows better. But you're now at the point in the Democratic primary where you have to say totally absurd, indefensible things in order to appeal to the far left base. Whether you're talking about all lives matter, which is now somehow controversial, or you're saying that the real, you know, p- part of the problem that we're facing is is this problem within mm. islam and to to pretend that it has nothing to do with this is silly and and you know i think in a way there's some good news to come out of this you've seen some i would say left-leaning um 
analysts who have been looking at this problem say, hang on a second, you know, that's not entirely true, <laughs> what Secretary Clinton says, which shouldn't be, it shouldn't be significant, but it is significant. And I think, you know, we're eventually getting around to having uh, this debate. And I think that's, it's good for the country. I mean, you know, it's probably better for Republican political prospects, mm-hmm. but it's good for the country. For seven years, we've been told that the war is over. Yeah. The war's not over. We stopped fighting it. You know, we had occasional drone attacks uh, that the president ordered that in an attempt to decapitate al-Qaeda leadership that al-Qaeda had been, has been saying since the mid-1990s that it was deliberately setting up its network in such a way that you couldn't pick off leaders and decapitate the network. So we're, you know, the president has been attempting to execute a strategy that al-Qaeda has, had anticipated and had answers for for more than a decade before he even tried it. And this shows you how far behind we are, and I do think Hillary Clinton will have to answer for that. Well, uh, 65% of the American people disagree with the president on the issue of Syrian refugees, on the issue of ISIS, and on the issue of terrorism. Think about that, 65%. That's just absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that same poll found that Hillary is losing to all of the top-tier candidates and tied with uh, Carly Fiorina, uh, um, that's that's a telling right there. Before we go, I have to mention, Steve Hayes, that this is the week that the book, The Christmas Virtues, hits the bookstores just in time for Black Friday and shopping, etc. And you have a great chapter in it. Some of our favorites, uh, Jonathan Last, our buddy from the Weekly Standard, is the editor. And P.J. O'Rourke is in it and Chris Buckley. And it's just a fantastic uh, Christmas gift. In fact, thanks to the number of Jewish people who write about Christmas in the book, which kind of made me laugh. It's also a great Hanukkah gift. And uh, it hits bookstores uh, this week. So all your fans can gather around and grab it and read their Stephen Hayes chapter to their kids under the Christmas tree. All my fans. I love all my fans. No, I'm going to buy a copy for my mom and my wife. (laughs) No, it's a good, it's, it's, it's a good read. You know, I got my copy mail the other day and I mean, just when, you know, you, you listed off the the number of incredible writers that are in there. That's why I agreed to do it as I was just so excited to be in a book with, you know, all of these people who we've all read for our entire lives. It's pretty exciting. So it is absolutely. My chapter is the, the least exciting and least compelling chapter. But, I disagree completely. Here's the problem. I, I, I disagree, but I can't say whose chapter is because that would be very mean-spirited, Jonah Goldberg. And so I'm kidding, Jonah. I love you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.